One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's seven, and Kenny, he's four. And my kids are Tony, who is 13, and Libby and Nate, who are nine, going on 10. (laughs) They are so adorable, aren't they? Pretty adorable, yes. We... Both like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are at the top of the podcast, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too, and we need to get the momming out of the way. Katie, what have your kids been up to this week? Christmas rolls around every year, and I realize how terrible I've been at like teaching the children the Christmas story because we don't go to church. Mm. So their grasp on like who Jesus is is like pretty slim. And like mm-hmm. listeners, we are nominally a Christian family, I guess you would say. Um, but today, as I was just telling Deborah off mic, Kenny is homesick and he really wanted to watch TV like first thing in the morning when he woke up. And I told him he couldn't, and he was really upset about it but also like kind of tired in that sick kid way so he just laid down on my lap looked up at my face and allowed me to sing him every moderately tempoed slash slow christmas carol i know oh <laughs> in succession that sounds like a good morning <laughs> it was Sick very sweet and my voice is still a little shaky too so i can't say it was the best renditions of christmas carols but I had to restrain myself from like stopping every other verse and being like, okay, so listen, they went to Bethlehem because <laughs> <laughs> how about you? What have your kids been up to? Um, I'm going to change my story. Okay. Uh, remember last year when we had our family band? Yes. Yeah. So we got out the Christmas music again and um, Libby and I played a string duet. And we tried to get Nate involved on the piano. He wasn't feeling 100%. Libby got a little flustered when he joined in, but I think we're back. Yay! (laughs) When can I buy tickets to your holiday tour? Oh my God, in 20 years. But (laughs) I will save you a spot in the front row. (laughs) Oh, that is too adorable. So should we talk about screen time in the news? You picked a Doozy of an article. Yeah, it was crazy long. I'm sorry. I was really just uh, flailing around for something to pick. Oh, I didn't mind the length. So the article is a round table of animation professionals, uh, movie directors published by the Hollywood Reporter, and it's available online. The title is quotations i care the most about the kid audience end quotations filmmakers behind strange world turning red my father's dragon and the thr animation round table i have to say i called it a doozy because the round table format of an interview article is like my very least favorite magazine article type to read second to an article that uses second person. Yes, especially when it's not like incredibly well-known people. And they put like the um, initials sometimes. Yes. Of the people's names. And I always have to keep going back to the beginning of the article and reminding myself like who are the, who the, do the initials stand for? Yeah, it's uh, not the best to you read. You would know this better than I would, Deborah. but like we're not reading this in print We're not concerned about column inches. Why Mm -hmm. can't they just, if if they're not reprinting the whole name, like put the name of their film in parentheses next to their name every time they talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, because like Henry Selleck, I didn't know who he was and I had to keep reminding myself what he had made. 
I mean, honestly, it made me feel like a real animation dum-dum. I'm like, I should know these people. Even I, who am fairly up to date on the animation world, had to be like, wait, now who? Who was that? What? And you're right. It's just a peril of the format, really. So the people that were involved in the roundtable are Guillermo del Toro, who has Pinocchio coming out soon, Joel Crawford, who directed Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Henry Selleck of Wendell and Wild, uh, which is out now and I think is kind of an underrated release. Nora Toomey from My Father's Dragon, Don Hall, Strange World, also underrated Disney release that we've talked a little bit about, and Domi She from Turning Red. So the article we have listed our complaints with it, <laughs> <laughs> but it is an interesting, like, we get to kind of peer into this dialogue that animators have about who are they making films for? How are they using animation to most adroitly express what they're trying to get across as artists and filmmakers? There's kind of a push and pull within the animation community um, about not whether or not animation is a legitimate art. These are all animators and they all agree it is very much an illegitimate art, but like they're kind of questioning whether or not kids are worthy as an audience and how much they need to like compromise what they're trying to say to a kid audience. And it's not even the kids. They're like saying these helicopter parents of today want like really anodyne content for their kids which you know may or may not be true what did you think about this conversation there were a number of different voices and some differences in opinion but I think you hit the nail on the head with what I took away most from it is that they were all really kind of bridling under this idea that their content was primarily for kids and has to be in some ways unsophisticated because of that And then I thought the poll quote that they took for the headline was really funny because let's be real. They don't care most about the kid audience. (laughs) Right, right. They are because they're artists and filmmakers. They're trying to tell the most sophisticated stories they can under what they see as the societally imposed restrictions on their art. Yeah, and they do, a couple of the filmmakers brought up like their own kids, and that's fine, but an anecdote is not data. They don't want to talk down to kids, which I understand, but as a parent who has, you know, my kids are a little bit older now, I do remember wishing when I wanted to show them like a feature-length movie when they were younger that there wasn't more G-rated content now. There's no, this is just like lumping all kids in together. And I totally do think that like eight to 12 year olds can handle um, an uncomfortable topic or like a little bit of a stressful scene of conflict. But like for the six and under set, that's just like a totally different viewership than older kids. Exactly. And that's not to say that you can't still tackle difficult subjects or subjects that are difficult for kids for that younger audience. It's just obviously not going to be about the trauma of feeling like you were responsible for your parents' deaths or like the truly traumatic things that a lot of these filmmakers are exploring in their movies. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I did really like towards the end of the discussion, they did talk about um, different animation techniques. And that was really interesting to me as like a non-visual artist person who just enjoys consuming this type of content to hear the stop motion guy talking about how um, they keep the mistakes in because it's like the charm of watching stop motion is that you can see like the struggle that the animator had with what they were working with and trying to get the movement correct. And like the turning red director talked about how they kept some mistakes in with the coloring and like how some parts were like more saturated than others. Cause that's just how it goes. And they didn't clean it up because it shows that it's quote made by a person instead of a computer. I think I loved that a lot. You know, I love all the conversations about the 
visual aspect of animation and the art behind it. And you know I will stand up for stop motion animation all the time unless it's made by Tim Burton. Right. Yeah. And I love that idea, like sort of a wabi-sabi idea that they don't want it to look absolutely pristine because that takes the humanity out of it a little bit. Yeah. And they're very concerned with very human themes and I'm sorry to walk it back but I just had to I had to take this quote from Guillermo del Toro and share it because it actually kind of made me mad oh no (laughs) oh no did I lose it he's not somebody I ever associate with kids content his stuff is too scary for me most of the time yeah his presence on this round table was a little jarring. And I'm sorry, I can't find the exact quote. But he was talking about the increased sophistication of today's children, as opposed to the children of the 80s. And the Mm. examples he pulled were like, kids back then were Amblin kids. And now they're Greta Thunberg. I didn't know what that what's Amblin. Amblin was the studio that made I think if I'm remembering correctly, all the classic Don Bluth films and the ones that come to mind for me are of course An American Tale and Land Before oh. Time, both of which deal with some really heavy subjects and don't pull punches yeah. dealing with the death of a parent, losing one's family and wondering if they lost you on purpose because they didn't like you. How is that mm-hmm. not a sophisticated concept for a kid? I'm sorry, Guillermo del Toro. I really think you called this one wrong. Right. And just because like kids now can identify that the world is like literally coming to an end, like doesn't mean they can't have an escape when they're watching a movie. Well, let's try and put a little bit more sunny spin on this episode, shall we? Have you watched any more (laughs) holiday content? As we record this, it's kind of early in December. So we have rewatched the Will Ferrell one. Oh my gosh. Spirited. Spirited. And uh, watched nothing else holiday yet. But that's a fun one. It was good on the second time through. I watched the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special or holiday special. I'm sorry if I'm mangling the title, which listeners you'll remember that Deborah reviewed for us last week in the lightning round. And I just have to say, even with zero familiarity for the franchise, mm-hmm. your four rating was still incredibly generous. <laughs> <laughs> Because I did not like this at all. I thought it was a really unfortunate choice to foreground two kind of lesser members of the Guardians Mm -hmm. of the Galaxy that really couldn't stand up to their own plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did talk to a couple of boomers about a Christmas story story, a Christmas story Christmas. (laughs) What did they have to say about it? Hello, Mom and Dad. Listeners, these are my parents, Jeff and Leah. Say hello, guys. Hi, Katie. Hey, Katie. Good to be with you today. Well, I am very excited that you agreed to talk with me about the movie A Christmas Story Christmas. Uh, When we recorded our lightning round about it, I did mention to Deborah that I was really upset that I didn't get to watch it with you guys. So I'm excited to do the next best thing, which is talk about it with you here. Sounds like fun. Can you fill me in on your history with the original movie? Do you love it? Do you tolerate it? Do you watch it every year? We love it and we watch it every year. We think it's just a wonderful movie. I don't know if there's a better one. It's a great movie. It's it's always fun to watch, especially if there's some kids around. Do you find that it makes you extra nostalgic for your own childhood? Well, the childhood that I wished I'd had. <laughs> well, I, well, I always had the, the toy guns when I was a kid. It was uh, reminds me of that a lot. But uh, my dad never told me I was going to shoot my eye out with the, no, with the gun. No, that was the mom. That was the mom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you feel any similar sort of nostalgia when watching the new movie? Well, it was sweet to see him all grown up. I mean, that that was the nostalgic part of it but the movie to me was 
it just didn't ring the same as the original as yeah. the original but it, how could it yeah so it, but it was fun yeah it was a good show so nothing made you nothing brought up any memories of your early parenthood in the 70s well of course it did because it was like it was set in 73 and we got married in 72 so it, it was like all the scenery and the cars and all that was like right how it was after we got married and it, and that yeah that was very sweet the beginning was very nostalgic in that way but it didn't hit you as emotionally as the original does well tried to make it do that but it's just hard to beat a little kid's story yeah it, it didn't appeal as much as well, well the the the, the uh, nostalgia of him as a little boy with his father didn't come out like the uh, his kids with him as the father. So because it was still all about him. Yeah. So we we missed we missed we missed the grandfather, or the father. It was mm-hmm. he was so good. Yeah. So it almost sounds like it's more a nostalgia for the movie, the original movie, than it is any sense of nostalgia that either of these movies give you for your actual lives. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Really. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you think you'll ever watch it again? Sure. Only if you're around and the rest of the family, around. kids around. Yeah. But if, if we're if we're making a list of Christmas shows, we'd probably watch the original first. And if we had extra time, we might watch the second one. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to watch it and taking the time to sit down and talk with me about it. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, anytime, Katie. We'd love to be on your show as much as possible. <laughs> All right, guys. Love you. Love you. Love you, Katie. Merry Christmas. Bye. All right. Should we move on to today's main topic? Yeah, let's do it. Guys, we are giving ourselves the Christmas gift of not covering more Christmas content for you. Sorry, not sorry. We did a really good lightning round last week. Just go look it up. Uh, So this week, we watched the new Disney Plus release, Disenchanted. It came out on November 18th, rated PG, came in at one hour, 59 minutes, just squeaking in under two hours. It was directed by Adam Shankman, who has musical theater bona fides. Do you say bona fides or bona fides? I say bona fides because I'm not fancy at all. (laughs) He has some serious musical theater cred because that's where he came up. Uh, He also directed the movie versions of Hairspray and Rock of Ages. And Disenchanted was written by Brigitte Hales, who comes from the TV world. She wrote for the ABC show Once Upon a Time, which also dealt in fairy tales. Alan Menken of Disney fame also returned to do the music just as he did for the first movie. And I guess I probably should have led with the fact that Disenchanted is a sequel to the 2007 movie Enchanted, which is about a cartoon princess who gets stuck in the real world. And in this follow up, just for a brief summary without giving away too many spoilers, Giselle, the princess, uh, is frustrated with life in Manhattan, so she moves her family to the suburb of Monroeville in an attempt to recapture some fairy tale magic from her youth. An ill-advised wish helps her realize maybe she doesn't want her life to be quite so much like a fairy tale after all. Why did we pick it? We are both fans of the original, which came out what feels like a bazillion years ago. And we are excited to see the new entry. Again, we wanted to give ourselves the holiday gift of not covering any more holiday movies. And we're both big fans of musicals. This cast was really exciting. It had Amy Adams, Maya Rudolph, James Marsden. Really, there was a lot to look forward to. So I think I speak for both of us when I say we were excited to watch. We were excited to watch When I saw this was coming out, I think I texted you because I knew that you liked the original Enchanted, but I have a confession. You had never seen it? I have never seen Enchanted. I take back everything I said. (laughs) Did you, you didn't watch it even before, like in preparation for this? I, well, I meant to, but my sick kids derailed my plans a little bit. So I 
meant to watch Enchanted. I will someday. It came out in 2007, which was like during the 10 years that I had between like my own childhood and when I had my own kids. So I it was not on my radar yeah. when it was out. Wow, this is going to be fun. This is the second <laughs> episode in a row I've made you watch something that you didn't you didn't No, I wanted to watch of. it. I did I do want to watch Enchanted. I um but I know like isn't this one of your favorite isn't Enchanted one of your favorite Disney's or it no. Has improved a lot on repeat watching and I okay. love the music. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I think. for sure. Yeah. Um, my husband Kevin has a strict no Christmas carols rule, and that is particularly enforced before Thanksgiving. So mm. on Thanksgiving, when I was doing all the preparation, I obviously wanted to listen to sing along music, and mm-hmm. I couldn't listen to Christmas carols. So you better believe I was listening to the Enchanted soundtrack and truly driving my in-laws insane with the fact that I couldn't get any of the songs out of my head, and I was just singing them constantly all weekend. It was magical. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> So did you rewatch Enchanted in preparation? I had just watched it with my kids not too long ago. We stopped okay. before like the final love scene where Giselle makes her decision to stay in the real world. But we saw okay. all the fun parts, especially all the parts that are fun for little kids because they don't care about the climactic kiss. <laughs> right. So what were your hopes for the sequel? Well, I think the idea of... What happens after Happily Ever After is Mm -hmm. really appealing. It's really appealing to millennial and Gen X feminists. Like, because we were kind of raised with the, not raised, but when we came of age, the idea that like young girls were exposed to princesses and these Happily Ever After stories was kind of introduced to us as being a really bad thing. Would you say that's Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Even mm. though that's how we grew up, like those were the stories that we had as kids. But when we eventually had kids of our own, the idea that we would ever teach them that it was fun to wear a pretty dress and hope to get a kiss from a prince was like the worst possible thing you could do to a young girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the idea of kind of skewering that and saying, yes, the movie may have ended in a climactic kiss, but here's what happens afterwards. Uh, Mm -hmm. was really appealing. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure I got the appealing story that I was looking for. Did you have any of that in mind when you jumped into it or were you just totally going in blind? I had very few expectations having not seen Enchanted and I did not even know it was going to have such an extraordinary cast when I started watching it. Uh, (laughs) So sometimes it's fun to watch things without knowing a lot of background and then reading the background after the first impression has been made. So I liked it a lot more than I expected to. I thought it was super well done. I didn't even think it was like, it's fine for kids to watch it, but I felt like it was a really grown up, nuanced script Mm -hmm. and just a outstanding, amazing performance by Amy Adams, who I mean, that is predictable. She's always very good, but I didn't expect like the kind of double personality Uh and how brilliantly she toggles back and forth between like scary, evil stepmother and like beautiful, uh, kind princess mom. Yeah, there's a wonderful scene in which like the camera essentially cuts back and forth to different sides of her face and she's having an (laughs) argument with herself and it was really really lovely and well done Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so what do you think was lost in the years between enchanted and disenchanted like this is a movie that took a long long time in development to actually come to be made so what it's been 15 years right Mm mm-hmm So they've obviously condensed the timeline a bit for the new movie because, gosh, if I want to say in the original, Morgan, the stepdaughter, is eight, seven or eight, let's say that. And in the movie, she's a teenager, so at most 17. Mm -hmm. So 
If you really want to stretch it, you could say that maybe 10 years have passed. I think it may be suffered from people having too long to think about it. Because Mm -hmm. my biggest complaint about this movie is that it had too many things going on. (laughs) And I think they could have stood to simplify. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I don't know whether that came from people saying they wouldn't be involved unless they had a bigger role or if just the way time has passed now, the story they wanted to tell for today was different than maybe the original concept that they would have thought of in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then instead of just jettisoning that additional that original story from 2010 that they had in mind, they just kind of stuck them all together. And this is right. what we got. <laughs> what did you think about foregrounding Giselle's relationship with Morgan? as opposed to her relationship with her husband, Robert, played by McDreamy, or the other suburban moms? It's definitely not what I was expecting going into it. Mm -hmm. Because the first movie is a love story, right? Right. And again, with the idea that the sequel was what happens after Happily Ever After, I had it in my head that it would be more of an exploration of Giselle's marriage. Right. That's the Happily Ever After. But yeah, exactly. But then when I think about it dispassionately, like you can't really give up the opportunity to play with that evil stepmother trope. So Mm -hmm. I feel like they got that bit between their teeth and they're like, we really need to use this. And that required foregrounding the relationship between Giselle and Morgan. But weirdly, only from Giselle's perspective, because we saw Morgan a lot, but I don't feel like we got much of her internal life in the movie. Would you agree with that? I would agree. And she really played two different characters because in the, like the real world Monroeville, Morgan is like a very surly and sarcastic teenager who is, makes no qualms that she is unhappy with her, uh, family's living situation but then when they transition to fairy tale land monroeville she plays like this very sweet and kind and well-meaning um and very vulnerable princess who has very little does very little to stand up for herself and then at the end is expected to like somehow save the day Mm -hmm. but that felt weirdly anticlimactic because we hadn't we hadn't been spending enough time with her all along to be really rooting for this, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was sort of like, there's so many movies where a family moves to the suburbs and really struggles with like trying to fit into the cookie cutter roles that a suburban family is supposed to be. And so I felt like they were all playing these parts like that, like that, uh, not the actors, but the characters were trying, were like sort of forced into these roles. And it something was a little bit lost with Morgan when she was um, like the original Morgan character, the surly teenager. She didn't get to play that consistently throughout. And that was a little disappointing. And the surly teenager is such a trope. She certainly didn't get any chance to move beyond that, which is kind of a theme of the original movie. Like, Oh, a heartless New Yorker is more than a heartless New Yorker. Oh, a fairy tale cartoon princess is more than just a fairy tale cartoon princess. That was so central. And then to be like, oh no, a surly teenager is just a surly teenager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the rest of the cast and characters. Was there any one that you particularly loved or hated? So one of the three of the characters that I really loved were the uh Stepford wife moms um played by Maya Rudolph and two other people I have to look up on IMDb um <laughs> but it was like Maya Rudolph was like the queen bee mom and then she had these sidekicks who just did her bidding all the time I mean you listeners know we love Maya Rudolph she can do anything and we'll watch it and rave about it but she was she was very good Um, And I loved the dynamic between Maya Rudolph's character and the Amy Adams character. Because, like, there's some, they kind of trade off being the bad guy. 
mm-hmm. at, at different times. And that's a fun, more complex Disney movie dynamic. Cause usually it's just like evil queen, good princess. But this one was like, left you guessing who you're supposed to be rooting for. I would agree. I wanted more of that. And I'm not sure there was Mm -hmm. space for more of that. Like it was already a two hour movie, but Mm -hmm. gosh, maybe we just really needed a TV show. Yeah, this could have been a TV show for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to work with. I loved the rapport between Maya Rudolph's two henchmen. And I'm sorry, is it Nicole Yvette Brown or Yvette Nicole Brown? Maybe one of them. (laughs) Three names. Definitely three. But they had a very much uh, Anastasia and, oh, gosh, what are the stepsisters' names from Cinderella? One of them is Anastasia, right? Anastasia Mm -hmm. and Drizella. They had very much that vibe. Yeah. And it was cute and traditionally Disney in a fun way. While you're looking that up, I will just go on to (laughs) say that I wanted this movie to feature... 2,000% more James Marsden. He just has a face and a personality for musical theater, and he should be singing and dancing all the time. I will take no opposition to this statement. (laughs) Um, Have you seen uh, Dead to Me? I have not. It's like a sitcom on Netflix. He's in that. I liked the first two seasons of that. Yvette, Nicole Brown. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Jama Mays. Okay. I got one, right? <laughs> Very good. I didn't get. Uh, what did you think of um, Adina Menzel's role? Shoehorned, right? Like they shoved her in because they felt guilty for having Adina Menzel in the first movie and then not having her sing at all. So they're like, oh, well, we better have Elsa sing in this movie, but then give her and James Marsden the worst, most exposition-y song in the show. And then later they gave her another song when she was a cartoon, but that was also a big nothing burger. What did you think? I liked her solo. I thought she was good. I mean, she's she's great. She does sometimes play roles where she doesn't have singing, just like Jonathan Groff. Like she was in the... Adam Sandler, Softy Brothers, Uncut Gems, and she didn't sing in that. Yeah, but you can't put her in a musical and not have her sing, is my point. Right. I I liked I liked her part. She and James Marsden were like, they were just so goofy showing <laughs> up in their like big costumes. Um it was it was funny. But again, not enough. Like, if this were a television show, I would like an entire episode about mm-hmm. James Marston and Adina Menzel living in cartoon Andalusia and mm-hmm. city girl Nancy, that's her character's name, right? Adjusting to life in like fairy tale princess land. That would be great. I would happily mm-hmm. watch that. Yeah. That's Instead true. of just shoving them in for 10 minutes of exposition and then being done with it. <laughs> So what did you think on the look of the movie? We got the live action real world and then a fairy tale version of the real world. So listeners, if you haven't seen it, this house they moved to in the suburbs is a dump. (laughs) But then when it gets fairy tale-ified, it is beautiful with like flowers everywhere, lovely gardens, um, the inside decor is magical. And then there's also like an animated hand-drawn cartoon Andalasia. It was so funny now to see the intercut scenes of the hand-drawn Andalasia. Mm -hmm. Because even more so than in 2007, that animation just feels like such a throwback to a long ago time, right? Yeah, it really does. So I wasn't prepared for my surprise at seeing that it's not like I didn't know it was coming (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I really liked how musical theatery the fairy tale world the fairy tale real world was it felt like a stage set what did you think about that oh it was so fun to watch so fun to look at like it was very completist down to every single detail of like like Amy 
Adams Giselle, she dresses in like very feminine housewifey throwback frocks. And like everybody else in the movie is kind of like wearing regular clothes. And then it's fun to see how she's actually dressing when she is living in this fairy tale land because it's very princess. And they go to that dress shop, <laughs> which like when you were a child was probably, I don't know, that was like one of my dreams was to get to go and like try on all the princess dresses. It is still uh, it, my dream to have someone fit me for a dress. <laughs> that happens like once in a woman's life if she gets married and that's it. Right. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Can I pick a nit about the real world? Yes. Why do rich people in movies never renovate their homes before they move in? They're rich. It's not like they can't afford the mortgage for two months together, like with their old property. It's not believable at all. Well, we just watched that Phantom Pups one where they're living (laughs) in the cobweb disaster. Yeah. It's just not realistic. Yeah. They need to show like the sold sign going up and then the dumpster that gets parked on the street for three to six months. (laughs) And the contractor's not showing up. That that's that's real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not like the family walking into the front door and being like, "This is the house we bought." As like some piece of wainscoting <laughs> falls off. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to writing. What did you think about the script? It was a little bit hard to tell which fairy tale trope was being pursued here was Giselle the evil stepmother from Cinderella or was she Snow White being um unfairly pursued by Maya Rudolph's evil queen was it a mashup of many different fairy tales um in sort of a postmodern retelling what did you think I think again you hit the nail on the head with mashup I think because I came into it with so many expectations from the original, which was a very straightforward skewering of the very specific story of the naive princess meets her prince and Mm -hmm. that's all she needs or wants from life. Mm -hmm. Um, And this took elements from so many different classic fairy tale plots. It could have just been a question of my expectations not being met but they were unfair you know Mm -hmm. yeah did you feel like it was as cluttered and unfocused as I did I don't think I had that many problems with it being cluttered because I hadn't seen the original so I felt like I was probably just missing stuff because I hadn't seen the original and like blaming myself for that and I did think it kind of spoke to my like middle-aged time in my life because it did feel like it felt I don't know the it was felt satisfying to me like I thought my life was going to be going in this one direction because this is what I was told for years and years what happened to me and this is what I needed to do to achieve it and I did all those things and now what it really looks like from the inside of my home is totally different than (laughs) like the what has been marketed to me right by by like society and target ads and whatever so i don't know if it i didn't have a problem with so many different storylines really even with the robert storyline i wanted to cut out every single part of the storyline that involves robert trying to be a knight and just replace it with more cat fighting with Maya Rudolph that was weird it was like it was being used for him because he was going to be like taking the train back into the city to stay at his regular old job and that was a weird way of showing that he was dissatisfied with his career because he was like they I felt like they were using like his desire to be a knight to show that maybe he wanted like a different work-life balance and wanted to spend more time with his family. But I guess it was sort of typically masculine that he couldn't like verbalize. 
and he had to like play with a sword to figure it out. I suppose that just speaks to my own intolerance for that kind of argument. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'll cop to it. That was me, not the movie. I guess it was fine. (laughs) No, it was it was weird. It was like sort of like almost they wrote the movie and then they were like, oh, we forgot about Patrick Dempsey's character. What are we going to have him do? Oh, let's just have him pretend to be a knight. Because he's not even really interacting with Giselle or Morgan or their storyline at all. No, no, he's not. Oh, okay. Okay. Music and choreography? Let's do it. Tell me what you thought about the music. Oh, my gosh. I could listen to the Batter song, which is like a, it's got like a Latin beat. It's like a duet. (laughs) <laughs> with Maya Rudolph and Amy Adams characters singing about like who's the worst I loved it I thought that was so fun I am so glad to hear you say that because I was so down on all the music but maybe again just like the original Enchanted it will improve on future listens but- well I need to listen to the Enchanted soundtrack it probably these songs none of like the songs they were all like fine like be average songs nothing like stood out except for that batter one to me I think my overall impression of the songs was that they were very and this is not a word but they were very <laughs> plotty like they yes. told the story and they moved the story forwards and not that that's a bad thing but that doesn't necessarily make them songs that you can pull out in your everyday life and be like humming under your breath Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's no let it go in this one. Yeah. And the first movie, Not For Nothing, had three of them, like songs that you can just sing when you're doing the dishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was one amazing choreography moment that I really liked. Not that there wasn't cute choreography in the fairy tale sequences, but uh, when they were in the real world and... Giselle was trying to convince Morgan to be excited about their dump of a house in the suburbs. She was singing a song and casually interacting with the tradespeople at the mm-hmm. house in like oh, yeah. very naturalistic dance step ways. It, I just thought that was really fun. That Was that when she was like ducking under the workmen, like carrying boards and like... Yeah, or like kind of casually waltzing around the guy with the broom yeah that was very cute I liked that one a lot I mean you are rarely disappointed in the choreography when Adam Shankman is involved so Mm -hmm. so structure and length this was a little bit on the longer side but I don't know how they could have made this movie any shorter yeah again there was too much plot they felt like they needed more time. Not that I'm necessarily saying that like I would have liked to sit through a two and a half hour version of this movie, but mm-hmm. uh, I certainly don't think they could have crammed as much in as they did and cut it any shorter. Mm-hmm. Again, I think I am really coming down on my idea of we could have used a series. We could have used six episodes. Yeah, there's a podcast I've been listening to that because they... um talk about Fleischmann is in trouble they just talk about like what's good on tv now and in their discussions of Fleischmann is in trouble they're always going back and forth on uh whether or not it would be better as a movie or better as a show it's called the watch it's on the ringer network and this one we could talk about how it could be a show instead of a movie for a long time or maybe it was so hard to get the cast together that they should have just done like avatars two through six and filmed like a couple movies at a time and then just released them a year apart right yeah (laughs) yeah i read that guardians of the galaxy christmas special it was filmed like while they were filming a guardians of the galaxy movie so it was very much like this is what we're doing on our lunch break probably yeah they did that and the footage because there's a guardians of the galaxy roller coaster in disney world so they did the footage for that at the same time oh interesting okay yeah they've got to get everybody while they're in costume 
Okay, so what movie or TV show for grown-ups did you find yourself comparing this to? This is an old one, but I this like the move to suburbia and like one's expectations versus reality made me think of the John Hughes movie She's Having a Baby with Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern. It came out in like 1988, so you're probably too young to have ever watched it. I'm not that much younger than you. I have seen this movie, and I okay. know you just had Kevin Bacon on your mind from Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. And so that's partly why it made me thought of it, think of it. But it's more told from the perspective of, like, the young husband who's like, this is not what I signed up for. And I felt like there was very much that crisis of identity that Giselle had. She thought moving to the suburbs was going to be one way, and it turned out a completely different way. What did you compare it to? I got kind of stuck in a snowball of the suburbs and the idea of seeing a lot of other actors that I would like to see in musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't help thinking about the movie Bad Moms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Christina Applegate is in that. She plays the like antagonist mm-hmm. and she is fantastic in singing roles and then you have Kristen Bell obviously very good at singing and mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen Katherine Hahn sing much but I feel certain she would be amazing yeah she can do anything <laughs> so there you go I just gave you my gritty HBO cast I know it would just be like shoehorning more people into a cast that is already super full of people but I think we can agree that I would be okay cutting all those Patrick Dempsey parts so we could have some Christina Applegate, Kristen Bell, Catherine Hahn musical numbers. Yeah, I like that. I like, how do you improve upon a cast that has Maya Rudolph and Amy Adams in in it? You can't. So I thought, well, what would Katie not want to (laughs) watch? And you would not want to watch a mumblecore version of Disenchanted, which is what I would cast. I would have either Greta Gerwig or Noah Baumbach direct it. And I would fill it with mumblecore actors like Don Matarazzo, Jesse Eisenberg, Saoirse Ronan, Adam Driver. I'd put in Audrey Plaza. I'd like have the mirror be played by somebody who is like more of a comedian, like maybe an Ali Wong or a Pete Davidson. I'd have, um, one of the Duplass brothers play the bumbling, hard to understand husband. <laughs> um, I'd have A.D. Bryant maybe play Maya Rudolph's character. I think that I could really make this the absolute anti-Disney. Um, would they still be singing? No, they'd be mumbling. <laughs> this is mumblecore. We wouldn't I know what they're saying half the time. Yeah, but mumbly singing? Maybe humming. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I would hate that. <laughs> Do you think it was better when we were kids? I don't know because we didn't have like these amazingly aesthetically pleasing like live action Disney's when we were kids. We had the animation and that was great, but like, it's so fun to see like a Disney film in real life, you, you know, like in a, like having humans act it instead of right animated drawings act it. What did you think? The big fairy tale skewering movie that came out and granted, this was the tail end of our childhoods. We were teens was Shrek and mm-hmm. I am really not a fan of Shrek and the Shrek franchise and anything stemming from the Shrek franchise. I find the humor to be a little too mean for my Mm -hmm. taste. So in that sense, I think this is a big improvement. If we're going to skewer fairy tales, I like that we're doing it with a big heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that too. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? You know what? I would. I would watch this again voluntarily just for the Amy Adams performance. And there's a lot of other things to like about it. I feel like over our Christmas break, I should give you an an assignment to watch the original because I think you'll like it even more. I know. And I did watch this by myself. I tried to get 
all my kids to watch it, especially Libby, because I thought she would be more into um, the Disney stuff than the boys. But I will definitely make it a point to watch Enchanted. Probably by myself. <laughs> the evil queen role in the original is played by Susan Sarandon, who Ugh, I have yeah. to say kind of gives Maya Rudolph a run for her money in terms of how much she's enjoying the like evil campiness of it. I can see that. That sounds great. Um, I didn't even attempt to watch this one with my kids. And I'm kind of glad after seeing it that I that I didn't. Because I think even though it's perfectly appropriate for kids, the story about one's ultimate dissatisfaction with the life choices one has made feels like it maybe might not resonate. And I don't think it had enough humorous bits to maybe balance that. Oh, yeah, totally. I... I guess we're on to 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. Like it's fine, but there's way more in it for us, I think, than for our children. Yeah. We've been seeing a lot of that lately. Second installments of children's movies really are being made for the parents that have been waiting however many years for a new one mm-hmm. to come out. <laughs> yeah. Ratings? I'm going to give it a four and a half. I feel like I have zero credibility left with my ratings. <laughs> I'll give it three shoes and a peanut. (laughs) Um, I was happy to see this franchise return, but I was disappointed in the execution. Can I give it a 3.75? Sure. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. If you enjoyed our show today, please share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MyScreenTime2 or send an email to MyScreenTime2 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our website is MyScreenTime2.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. We'll be taking a short break for the holidays, but we'll be back in your feed soon wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to and sometimes because we like to. Bye. Bye. Bye.